Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card... Right this way. It's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Black Buffalo products are intended for adults age 21 and older who are consumers of nicotine or tobacco. If you're an adult age 21 and older and use nicotine or tobacco, I want to tell you about Black Buffalo's award-winning nicotine pouches. What are they made of? Cured edible green leaves, food-grade ingredients, and pharmaceutical-grade nicotine. No tobacco leaf or stem. So if you're 21 and older, consume nicotine or tobacco and want to join the Black Buffalo herd, head over to blackbuffalo.com to learn more. You can order nicotine pouches online and they ship directly to most states. Or check out their store locator to purchase pouches at thousands of retail locations around the country. Black Buffalo Tobacco Alternative. Bold flavor, full pouches. AT&T connects an O to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk. Comedians or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. What is going on, everybody? It's me, John Middlecoff podcast it may be 12.01 a.m i i went to the monday night football game uh a buddy uh robbie invited me it was freaking awesome one of the cooler games i've ever been to maybe just ever i you know we'll dive into the game here in a second but it was uh it was an experience but the problem is with an overtime game on monday night by the time you get out of the stadium you know, it just takes a while by 10 o'clock. And then, you know, the parking lot is just insane because nobody left their seats. Then you realize you're still about 15 minutes from home, but you're absolutely starving. So you go get some Taco Bell and you crush that, which I just did about two minutes ago in my car. And then you realize, luckily you're a pro and you've recorded the, the vast majority of your podcast. So you just got to talk about this game. Uh, but there's so much to talk about. So we'll dive into this game, obviously. Uh, several things to talk about. And then Cowboys-Vikings. I, I have many thoughts on Jason Garrett, Mike Zimmer, Pittsburgh, and the Minka Fitzpatrick trade. I mean, is that one of the great in-season trades in NFL history? Uh, the LA Rams kind of did the same thing. You could argue even more aggressive for Jalen Ramsey, and it's kind of backfiring. LSU-Bama. 
is the uh, highest ranked or highest rated college football game ever. And man, I mean, no shit. <laughs> what what a what an incredible watch. Some thoughts there, Joe Burrow, and really why LSU. When Nick Saban was there, they were winning national champ. They won a national championship. If you think Nick's, what if Nick Saban would have been at LSU the last ten years? How many they would have won the five? I mean, they would have become Bama. You know, I mean, this the top three or four schools in the in the SEC are just dependent on like does Urban Meyer coach you? Does Nick Saban coach you? Like, do you get an all? Does Steve Spurrier coach you? Because if they do, you'll win it all. I'm jealous of their uh, their love of football. And then I'll dive around to a bunch of different things that I saw around the NFL on Sunday. And then, of course, the Middlecoff mailbag, at John Middlecoff is my Instagram handle. Follow, slide right into those DMs, then I answer your questions here on uh, on the podcast. I guess let me just start with the game as a whole. I, I know just, I, I'm not on Twitter that much at the game, but I check occasionally. The one thing I don't think you realize, and I know some of you guys listening go to games so you understand this, but... When I was going to games a lot, I was always sitting in the media area, so I, I was always had TVs in front of me. You knew what was going on. When you sit in the stands, you kind of have no clue what's going on. And when all these plays, in this game, countless plays are being reviewed, spots, fumbles, just shit left and right, you're just kind of at a loss. It's like, what is Al Riveron going to come back with? Overturn fumble, overturn spot, not overturn fumble, not overturn spot. You don't know. It's, it's kind of wild. Now, they, they do reviews, you know, obviously at most stadiums are going to replay the play. But even then, you're like, I don't know what these refs are going to do. And a lot of people constantly tweet at me and DM me. And I have friends in the NFL like, go, go nuts on the referees. It's terrible. And I agree. It's very, very hit or miss. Uh, but I don't really have any thoughts besides they suck. Like, it's just... I don't really know if anyone knows what they're doing anymore. And, and I say it all the time. I don't think anyone cares in the league. Now, individual coaches care. Obviously, players care. But like the league office, even some owners. They're, they're, all, all these people are making so much money. Maybe we're just the suckers. Because we get so mad about it and then nothing changes. And I know there were... You know, it's hard also to... Like there's a... Uh, a tackle on the punt return. They get a 15-yard penalty for like helmet to helmet. You look at Twitter and it's just tackling. It's hard for me to really tell live. That's the one thing. Like you're just so in the moment. that The conversation when you're watching the game on your couch with Twitter, it's different when you're at the game. It really is a wild experience. And, and I know a lot of people were saying that was a bad game, a great game, a weird game. I, it was wild. It was riveting. What was there a lot of, you know, bad plays, 100%. You know, the Russell Wilson fumble where the somehow ended up in the offensive lineman's hands. Where I'm sitting at the 50-yard line, I couldn't, did Russell hand him the ball? Did the, did the offensive lineman steal it from his hands? And then, you know, he got stripped and Eric Armstead walks in the end zone. I, I would imagine all you guys, if you're watching on television, the countless potential interceptions that Jimmy Garoppolo throws, the countless drops. It, it was, of my lifetime of going to NFL games, and I started going to NFL games probably, my, my first ever NFL game is when I got a job in the NFL, so 2010. Now, I'm 35 years old. I've been watching it since the early 90s. But going to games, that's the craziest game I've ever been to. Not the best played game, you know, not the... Uh, 
highest scoring game, not the lowest scoring game, not the best played game, just the craziest roller coaster game I've ever I've ever seen. I mean, the dude, the the 49ers kicker who they franchised somehow gets hurt in practice and he'd been having a terrible year. So they signed some kicker who was on his couch like a week ago, hits the game-tying field goal to send him into overtime and then later in the in overtime or I mean, yeah, in regulation, then in overtime shanks a field goal. Russell Wilson, who hasn't thrown a pick, it feels like since 2010, throws one of his worst picks of the season. Obviously has that fumble. Just a bizarre game. Jimmy Garoppolo could have had like 10 turnovers. It was wild. It, it was it was awesome. You know, I, I don't know what else to say. I You might have hated it. If you're watching your couch, I, I'm going to have to re-watch the game in the morning. I just know sitting there, being a part of it, there were 70,000 people they just thought it was the most wild thing they've ever experienced. It That's all I can say live. It was just wild. Now, let's start with Russell because Seattle got an enormous win. At 8-2 and two now with the Niners and beating, they beat the Niners and they beat the Rams. They're in pretty good position for one of these, uh, you know, the first or the second seed. There are four teams right now. The 49ers, Seattle, New Orleans, and Packers fighting for those two top spots. And... There's seven games left. I guess for Seattle, there's six games left, but they have they're going to have a bye. For the 49ers, they're now eight and one, uh, so they have seven games left with the Cardinals coming up this weekend. The Packers are on a bye. I honestly don't even know who the Saints play, but I know the Niners play the Saints. All four of those teams could end up with the one seed, and all four of those teams, hell, I mean. Green Bay, they could screw around and not even win their own division. New Orleans is going to win their division. And obviously, now with L.A. losing, either Seattle or the 49ers are going to win the division. But the 49ers still play the Saints, the Packers, and the Ravens, and then Seattle again. So it's going to be really, really challenging. It got really, really interesting tonight. But I was lucky enough, you know, five or six years ago when the Warriors first got in their run, and I love basketball, to watch a lot of Steph Curry games live. And I've never seen anything like it. And I don't know if he'll ever be the same type player. He he might not be. Uh, maybe he will be next year when all these guys come back. But I know what I saw, and I'll never probably see that again. It, it was remarkable. The, the team that won 73 games, I, I went to probably 20 that season. It, it was his second. It was when he won the back-to-back MVPs. It was just, I knew what I was watching. It was just greatness. It was just something that, like, yeah, this doesn't happen very often. You know when you hear someone, especially in the media, now, I, I sat in the stands tonight, but I didn't. I, I got a free ticket. But when they when just someone says I would pay to see him, you know that's where Russell Wilson falls. He is one of the most remarkable players to watch. I mean, I've seen him live now several times, but just you guys know, just watching him play. Even when his I I wouldn't say he had a he probably had an average game tonight, but the plays he makes are extraordinary. He does. Six or seven or eight or not like tonight it felt like ten extraordinary things. Now sometimes like tonight it creates a terrible play, but man is he a fun player to watch. And you know I I don't know what Twitter's saying if he took a hit on his MVP campaign. That that team I know Clowney had a great night. I mean he looked like freaking Reggie White. Clowney was unblockable. Was destroying McGlinchey. Was destroying Staley was destroying everybody. He was a game wrecker. So they have Clowney, who I you could argue this, I mean, you, it's not even arguable, this was his best game as a Seahawk. 
But Clowney has not had a great season. Tonight, he was on a completely different level. Now, is he a little bit of a bright lights guy? It's Monday Night Football. He knows everyone's watching? Probably. But him, Bobby Wagner, and Lockett, like Seattle does not have a great team. I'd, I'd argue that if they had just a solid quarterback, like a Jimmy Garoppolo or Kirk Cousins, they wouldn't sniff the playoffs. Instead, they're competing for the number one overall seed. I I don't see how this guy doesn't win the MVP. I, I, I really don't. Uh, because really the 49ers defense is probably the best in the league. His stats are going to be way better than the majority of the other teams he plays. But he is just such a special, special player. If you ever get the chance to watch him, wherever you live, and he comes through, it's worth the price of admission because he is just on the edge of your seat with every freaking play. He's like a Houdini. He's a magician back there. It's I'm at a loss for words, and I talk for a living. You're just... Your jaw hits the ground. Like, how did he do that? He, he's the lone running quarterback that really doesn't want to run. And he did it a couple times a night in big spots. He really wants to run to scramble to throw. That, that's what makes him so special. That's what, you know, Steve Young was in the house tonight, obviously, for ESPN. Steve became that in his older years. It was about throwing to beat you. He plays quarterback, not running back. Now, he can take off and run. And he's not quite as fast as he used to be. But he can operate at like average speed and still gain a lot of yards. He's just, man, even in his shitty games, I came away going, man, that was fun. And the 49ers could not block Clowney all night long. He was just a game wrecker. God, I mean, Clowney was the difference. And then let's go to the 49ers, who uh, I I wouldn't say this is a bad loss, but given the way it played out, wasn't a great loss. Uh, before we dive into Kyle Shanahan at the end of the game, because I did see that kind of, people were like, the clock management, what is he doing? We'll start with the quarterback. Jimmy Garoppolo was not good. Now, it wasn't all his fault. I mean, Clowney was in his grill every other play. The wide receivers, uh, obviously he had the fumble where he got kind of destroyed. Now, not great ball security that Clowney picked up and scored a touchdown. He had another pick that went off Kendrick Bourne's hands. But on like the final drive of regulation, he could have thrown multiple picks. He could have thrown several picks. So it, it wasn't an ideal night. But he was not exactly playing with Jerry Rice and John Taylor tonight. George Kittle was upstairs in a box because he's got multiple injuries. Emmanuel Sanders, it looks like, broke, broke ribs early in the game. He left. Uh, Marquise Goodwin is an unplayable player. I said over and over, and a lot of people the 49ers disagreed with me. I would have cut Marquise Goodwin. You, you can't win with him. And Kendrick Bourne actually isn't a terrible player, but it's hard to trust him in big spots. Debo Samuel had an awful drop tonight, though he's going to be a really good player. They were just, and the one thing that Seattle did pretty good job of tonight is they weren't going to let the 49ers gash him on the ground. They were going to make Jimmy beat him. And it was the right game plan because, like I said, George Kittle's not there. And especially once Emmanuel Sanders goes out, like, you're going to beat me with Kendrick Bourne and Debo Samuel? I'll, I'll double down on this. Let's let's bring another defender to the box. Now, Kyle hit his stride a couple times with some play calls. But at the end of the day, this team's going to go as far as the defense takes them. And I, the defense, for the most part, was awesome. They make so many damn plays. Like, this defense is going to be hell to be reckoned with in the playoffs. The key, though, for their success, 
will be health. Because they're not going to have... Uh, it's going to be very, very difficult, let me rephrase that, for them to score points if they're not healthy. Because their wide receivers just aren't very good. And they're v- now Kittle's a superstar. But by midseason this year, because they've basically been riding him like a... You know, like uh, you would an ace in baseball. He was just kind of breaking down. He, he's by far their best and only capable receiver until they get Emmanuel Sanders. And, you know, as of recording this, he left the game and didn't come back. So that's usually not good. I'm just going to, I'll just play Dr. Middlecoff here from section 300 at the 50 yard line. Broken ribs. I, he might miss a couple weeks. Luckily, they got Arizona, but that's not going to be an easy game. You know, when when you put the pressure on Jimmy with this team, they're going to have to be fully healthy for them to have a chance to win. Now, you have to play them a little differently when Kittle's in the game and when Emmanuel Sanders in the game because he can throw it to those two guys. So they keep you honest. Let's get to the end of the game in overtime when Kyle Shanahan, I think there was like a buck 40 left on the clock, and Kyle Shanahan threw, called three straight passes, the third one, I think it was, I didn't even think they completed any, so it was third and ten. Jimmy tries to go a deep bomb to Debo Samuel. Kind of an underthrow. The DB makes a good play. They take about 15 seconds off the clock, punt, and that ultimately led to the game-winning field goal. I see a lot of people, and a lot of NFL media people, when I was sitting in my car because the traffic didn't move for about two hours, Kyle Shanahan is so terrible at clock management. Guys. This is overtime at home against your rival. And really, it's not your rival because I, I was listening to the post-game radio show on the way home. Russell Wilson is 13-3 and in his career against the 49ers. Let me repeat that. 13-3. and He owns a piece of the 49ers. He does. And every 49er fan in that building tonight, 70,000 seats, I'd say it was about 50... 55, 49ers, a lot of of 12s there, a lot of 12s there. I got no problem with Kyle Shanahan calling plays. We're not playing to fucking tie. You're playing to win. And sometimes you play to win, you end up losing. What's he supposed to do, run the ball a couple times to milk some clock so you get off the field? I saw some analytical people tweeting, like, what's he doing with the clock? You guys are the ones always tweeting about going for two. He called pass plays. They didn't, Jimmy had two horrendous passes the first couple. And then he actually got the look he wanted on the third down play. Jimmy's just got to lead him. It was a bad throw. Good play by the DB, kind of. It was just an underthrown ball. But yeah, he's playing to win. Are we playing to tie? You play to win the game, as my guy Herm Edwards would say. Now, if you're 4-4, four and four, maybe you approach it a little differently. You're 8-0. You're 8-0. and oh. When you're 8-0 and, oh, and you're the... You're a lock to go to the playoffs. You only got to win two more games to get to ten. You're going to the playoffs. You can finish three and five. You win. A, you're you're in the playoffs. You're trying to win this game and put a dagger in Seattle. I got no problem with it. I see a lot. It's like it's like uh, the Super Bowl when he, when he just called pass plays. A little different. They had a gigantic lead. This is overtime tie game. You got the ball at the twenty yard line. You're calling pass plays. You, you got to go. There's only a minute 40 left. You got a kicker that was literally on his couch, I don't know, three weeks ago or two weeks ago because Robbie Gold, I mean, the guy got $12.5 million. He can't stay healthy. And he called pass plays. I, I got no issue with it. I, again, what, what's the point of this whole thing? 
You're trying to win. Both Pete Carroll, Kyle Shannon, trying to win the game. You're trying to play to a tie when you're 8-0? Eight and, eight and oh? Now, yeah, it would you be better off tying than losing? Yes. I, I will not dispute that. But no pansies in the NFL. I, you know, not, not winners. Winners go for it. Winners try to throw the ball. You had to go about 60 yards. And you had less than two minutes to go. And you only had one timeout. I don't, even th- I don't think it's crazy at all. It just didn't work. If you would have ran it three times and they would have gained five yards, everyone would have been like, oh, conservative. Kyle's just too conservative. I, you, sometimes you can't win with the uh, the internet or the couch offensive coordinator. But of, of all the things I saw tonight, of the crazy plays, and it was one of the wacky, it, it was the wackiest game any sport I've ever attended. Uh, Russell Wilson, even when he has an average game, is still one of the most remarkable players I've ever seen. Jimmy Garoppolo, a little bit of a roller coaster ride tonight. Fred Warner, the dude from BYU, the 49ers middle linebacker, holy hell is that guy a player. Big big winners tonight, Clowney and Fred Warner kicked ass and took names. Russell still makes enough sweet plays even when he has crappy games. Jimmy, uh, not great. Wide receivers for the 49ers, terrible. Kyle Shanahan, no issues at the end. Monday Night Football. Thank God I didn't have to listen to the broadcast, though. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based, live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. LinkedIn isn't just a job board. They help you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Did you know 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites? LinkedIn's the only one I use. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process even easier and quicker. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash J-O-H-N. That's linkedin.com slash J-O-H-N to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. We're now joined by three-time NBA Sixth Man of the Year, 
elite bucket getter. Let's please welcome Jamal Crawford to point game. King of the court one-on-one tournament. If they had it back in your prime, do you think he could have took it all? I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think I could have took it all, but I think I would have shocked a lot of people. I think Kobe and everybody in their prime, Kobe would win a one-on-one contest. Yeah, I, yeah, because you got to think, Love he's going to guard. He don't care about guarding. He's going to guard. He's going to exactly. guard. Like, you see him in the Olympics, he's going to guard. And then on I'm top of that. like that, see that? Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Sam Cassell to point game. I remember you came out from crying tears. <laughs> crying tears. I mean, he was in a culture shock. He's going to withdraw us about winning. Remember what I told you? I said, I said, OG, you think I can get paid and go back and play in college because he ain't it. <laughs> Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, let's dive into Cowboys-Vikings, the the Sunday night football game. You don't need to be Bill Walsh or Vince Lombardi to see that the amount of top-end, high-end, elite players in that game on both teams was at a premium. Did both those two rosters win healthier top, you know, top five rosters in the league? Either one of them don't make the playoffs, that coach should be immediately removed from his duties. And after the game, it's pretty clear the Vikings are headed there. The Cowboys, luckily they're in a terrible division and still, I guess, control their own destiny. But they got a fatal flaw because I believe this, you know, everything I've ever read, my own personal experience, when you get into pressure pack situations, you're going to result... Or, or kind of resort back to who you really are at your core. You can be someone else when there is no pressure. Try different things. If you're super conservative, think outside the box. But when you're in a big moment, you are going to show your true colors. It just, it always happens, especially with coaches. I've seen it forever. When, when coaches have nothing to lose, you know, in a season when they're like six and nine and they start going for it. You know, the in December, you're like, okay, buddy. And then the following year, when they have a winning record and the game actually matters, they'll punt in situations where it's like, oh, you, you were the you were the gunslinger last year, and, and you're not doing it this year. And I I think it when you have a a core belief or a true identity, it's easier to just be who you are in a big situation. And I've said it over and over. Listen, I, I've been hard on Mike Zimmer. Uh, just with his old school approach. But the one thing I will appreciate is he has an approach. He has a clear identity of what he wants to do. When you walk into the Vikings you know, facility or you, you sit down to watch a Vikings game, you know what their, their mission statement as a team is, right? They want to pound you with their running back. That's what Zimmer wants to do. Run the ball and play intense you know, aggressive defense. They are who they are. I mean, they, they are well, Mike Zimmer and his philosophy is well established. And watching that game down the stretch, I go, what is Jason Garrett's identity? Because he for sure as hell is not some gunslinger and going to be super aggressive in big spots. He's shown his true colors over and over and over again that he gets tight in big spots. And then you take a step back and you realize, well, he ain't even doing anything. He ain't calling the offense. He ain't calling the defense. The special teams, which we'll dive into in a second, also a disaster. And the the old Bill Belichick saying that goes, you're either coaching it or allowing it to happen. There was a sequence at the end of the game. 
They drive right down the field. One of the best games, especially the second half, in a big spot. Dak was incredible. Looked awesome. Looked like a a bigger version of Russell Wilson. Scrambling around, making huge plays. Amari Cooper, no player in the NFL, has probably made more money. I mean, he's on pace for career highs in, in every statistical category. From just the eye test, it's clear he's awesome. And they drive right down the field. And they get into a situation on second and short and on third and short, and they run the ball twice. Now, Jason Garrett, you know, I don't know if he meant to do this, but the way it came out, he said on Monday morning on his radio hit that Kellen Moore calls the plays and he saw an advantageous look in the box and he thought we'd get the runoff. Which, it's like, Jason, you're in charge. You're making six, seven, eight million, whatever you are. He's not making a, a sixth or seventh of what you're making. If you want a certain play, or you want to do something, you can tell him. So even when I see coaches that do not call the plays, you guys are in charge. In the in the pyramid hierarchy uh, of your coaching staff, you're at the top. So and, and Jason, you're a former quarterback. You're an offensive guy. If you want something to happen, tell him to make it happen. But he would never do that because deep down, he's kind of a conservative coach. He might rather run it than pass it. And then they go, you know, when they get in that situation that forced to kick a field goal, and or I guess they went for it, excuse me, on fourth down. They didn't get it to Zeke. They give the ball back to Minnesota. So, miraculously, they got three timeouts left. And then when they get go to a punt return situation, they don't try to block the punt. Which, okay, because actually when you're down four, if you somehow were to block the punt and get a safety, it doesn't really help you as much as you think. You'd rather get the ball at midfield. So they set up for a return, but for whatever reason, the punt returner calls for a fair catch. He had nothing but room, and he had blockers set up. When I say you're either coaching it or allowing it to happen, that is a reflection of Jason Garrett. And when you came down the stretch, the Minnesota Vikings, in big spots, got big stops. Because of course they do. Mike Zimmer, one of the best defensive coordinators in the league. His defense is really aggressive. They have a bunch of high-end players. They're just going to tackle well. The one area you can take advantage of them in the passing game. Dak had well over 300 yards. He was moving the ball right down the field. And the the Vikings would have paid for you to to run the ball in that situation. Because let's call a spade a spade. Zeke's a good player, and I really like him. Uh, I I think he's not looked as fast this year. He's been solid. He runs his ass off. But the running back for Minnesota, Dalvin Cook, is just a better player right now. So when they gave it to Zeke in those situations on second and short, and then I think it was third and five, that's what the Vikings wanted you to do. I guess maybe it was second and it was second and two, then it was third and two, and then they got the loss on the third down, so it was fourth and five. But at the end of the day, Jason Garrett in a big spot is always going to be tight because that's just who he is. We have just basically a, a long line of evidence now. His resume shows us. There is no coach. They're going to be in games because they got a lot of talent. And that's, that's really more on Jerry Jones, the people picking the players. Jason has nothing to do with that. I know on game day that Jason is going to consistently let you down. And if, you, if the Cowboys were to miss the playoffs, it, it, it's pretty clear they're not going anywhere in the playoffs. But they are going to get to host a playoff game. Hell, it may be against Minnesota in that wild card round if they win the NFC East. So maybe they could win a game. But whatever, they won a game last year against Seattle and then got shoved around by the Rams. This is the home stretch. It's 
it's borderline feels over because I, I don't see any chance. And this was makes me look like an idiot. I picked them to win the NFC, but when I look at the Vikings, another team that's going to be right in the mix to win the NFC, they're just on a different level. And it's not the talent. It's not quarters one through three. It's the little details. It's the little freaking details that get multiplied in the playoffs. That every yard matters, every play call matters. In a tie game in the fourth quarter, you can't afford to screw up. And Jason Garrett always screws up. And he'd tell you, well, I'm not even the one calling the plays. Well, Jason, you're ultimately okaying it. Because if you don't want that play call, you know what you can do in the headset? Kellen, I don't want that. Call a different play. Call this play. Can, are you even capable of doing that anymore? Because think about this. Sometimes he was once a play caller, but then if you're not a play caller for a while, it's like if you don't do anything for a while. If you're a writer and you take two years off from writing and then you try to write, you're not going to be as a good as good of a writer. If I'm a podcaster and I take five years off from talking and then I come back and I get to the mic and I press record, I'm not going to be as good. I'm not going to have consistent flow, ideas of topics, just out of sight, out of mind, even if you're around podcasters every day. Like, he's around football coaches, he's around game plan meetings, but he's not the one ultimately calling the plays on game day, where Mike Zimmer has been the defensive play caller since he's been there. So he's been pretty locked in. And again, I like throwing the ball a little more than him, but if you have the best running back in the league, arguably right now, who is the perfect zone scheme runner, one cut, vertical, get north and south, I would say no one runs harder this season than Dalvin Cook. Every single yard is contested on his end. Physicality, like he's coming forward. If you're going to push him back, you're going to need multiple people. I, I, I love that player. But th- that, that was just a clinic on when the game got really tight, two coaches resorted to who they are. And, and the problem for Jason Garrett is, is who he is, is, is not conducive to winning in 2019. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7... U.S.-based, live customer service from Discover. Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. We're now joined by three-time NBA Sixth Man of the Year, elite bucket getter. Let's please welcome Jamal Crawford to Point Game, King of the Court one-on-one tournament. If they had it back in your prime, do you think he could have took it all? I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think I could have took it all. But I think I would have shocked a lot of people. I think Kobe and everybody in their prime, Kobe would win a one-on-one contest. 
Yeah, I, yeah, because you got to think, Love he's going to guard. He don't care about guarding. He's going to guard. He's going to exactly. guard. Like, you see him in the Olympics, exactly. he's going to guard. And then on I'm top of that. like that, see that? Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Sam Cassell to Point Game. I remember you came out from crying tears. <laughs> crying tears. I mean, he was in a culture shock. And then I, his, he's going to withdraw us about winning. Remember what I told you? I said, I said, OG, you think I can get paid and go back and play in college because it ain't me? <laughs> Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Colin Coward from The Herd with Colin Cowherd. Angie's list is now Angie, the nation's largest home service marketplace. They're here to help homeowners get all their jobs done well. Angie has helped over 150 million homeowners care for their homes. Whatever your home project, big, small, indoor, outdoor, come to Angie to connect with and hire skilled pros to get the job done well. Listen, I've got a couple of things in a bathroom in my house. Got to get it fixed. I don't have time, and I'm not good at it. Angie is. With just a few taps on the app, you can have Angie tackle your home service project start to finish. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it easy to research, compare, and hire pros to ensure a job done well. With 29 years of experience combined with new digital tools to simplify the process, Angie makes completing home projects really easy. It's your one-stop shop. Angie can help you find the best price for your project by comparing quotes from multiple pros in just a few taps or book services at an upfront price based on local data. They get the difficulties that can come with home projects. They get it. Why not make it as simple as possible? Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com or download the app today. Okay, let's dive into the the Rams and the Steelers. And as someone now that the last three or four years has run essentially my own business with another podcast and, and different internet media things I'm doing, uh, you realize how hard and anyone, you know, most of you guys, you know, work in the real world, know how hard it is. And I always had people tell me this. My dad used to always tell me this growing up. It's so hard to just make a dollar. And then obviously it gets relative every Every time you scale, the dollar goes to ten dollars, goes to a hundred dollars, goes to you know fifty thousand dollars, goes to five hundred thousand dollars. Whatever you're doing, it's really difficult. I think it's fair to say that most successful people in the business world, and that's the reality that we live in in America, capitalist society. Gotta love it. Is that it takes balls? You know, most people that win in life have major stones. Like that's. Whether you're on the football field or whether you're in the business realm. Those are the people I've admired. And I've always admired them. And a lot of them are pro sports owners. You know, I have one in my backyard. Joe Laca bought the Warriors six, seven years ago. And everything he's done has just swung for the fences. Now, it doesn't always work. But in this crazy, weird place that I live in downtown San Francisco. I don't live in San Francisco. He somehow got a building built. And he did it himself. He's paying for the whole thing himself. That's why I admire Stan Kroenke. He moved to L.A. He's like, I'll pay for it myself. Every penny. Now, he's got the money, but most guys don't think like that. Most guys don't do that. Jerry Jones, as just one of the great marketers in the history of America, has huge balls. Now, again, I'm not saying these guys are batting 1,000%. They miss on stuff. But I give you credit for taking swings. It's why Pittsburgh and the Rams, well, at the original time of both 
trades that they made for Jalen Ramsey and Minka Fitzpatrick, I thought it was kind of nuts. But as time has gone on, we'll start with the Pittsburgh Steelers, who got an enormous win at home against the LA Rams and are now 5-4. and four. When they traded for Minka Fitzpatrick, they were 0-2. And, and then they proceeded to lose that game when he showed up to the 49ers, where I'm pretty sure he had a pick, a forced fumble, and a bunch of tackles. He was awesome. And it's been clear ever since they got him, he's the best player on their team. He has more touchdowns this season as a Steeler than like Odell Beckham Jr. has as a Brown. He's been phenomenal. Count, I think, four interceptions, multiple touchdowns, makes tackles, PBUs, forced fumbles. He's a dominant player who turns, I think, 23 here in a month. He's been fantastic. They gave him a first-round pick. I thought it was nuts. I've said this over and over on the podcast. I've changed my opinion over the last month. Because if I was a Pittsburgh Steelers fan, I would take so much pride in this team. The first game of the season, we lose Roethlisberger to Tommy John surgery. Who, God, he's putting on some LBs. And we go to Mason Rudolph, and we keep losing a couple games, and then we don't flinch and we make this trade. And somehow we start to figure it out, and all of a sudden we're 5-4. and four. With a four-game stretch coming up, they play on Thursday night against the Browns. Then they got the Bengals. Then they got the Browns again. Then they got the Cardinals. I start thinking to myself, God, if we win three of these next four games, are we 8-5? and five? And in a position to get a wild card? And I say, hell yeah. <laughs> Big time. Because your team had the stones. Your team was aggressive. Your team refuses to tank, though the media consistently gives tanking teams credit, but most tanking teams consistently suck. They just tank and tank and tank, and then they never win. Look at the Browns. They're 3-6. and six. They tank for like three years, and all they have to show for it is being 3-6 and six with some good players. Who cares? The Steelers, who've never tanked, who got aggressive, unlike what Sashi Brown and the Browns would have ever done a year ago, boom, 5-4 and because they traded for Minka Fitzpatrick. The point of pro sports is to acquire good players and keep them. And the Dolphins are like, yeah, we're good on Minka. That If the Steelers make the playoffs, you're going to get, what, pick 22 for Minka Fitzpatrick? That's not ideal. Who's immediately a playoff team's best player? Pretty big red flag on the Dolphins. Though I give them credit, they've continued to play hard. And then the Rams. But I guess my ultimate point on this is I need to take a step back and not be so critical when teams kind of swing for the fences. Because sometimes you swing for the fences, you're going to strike out. But at least you're taking a swing. And I was hard on Bill O'Brien for the Laramie Tunzel trade. But he's 6-3. He looks headed like he's going to cruise to a division championship. Even the Rams. They're 5-4. and four. The reason they're losing is not Jalen Ramsey. The reason they're losing is because their offensive line is horrendous. They can't block any team with a good front. And Jared Goff is much more similar to like an Eli Manning, Phillip Rivers type quarterback in terms of athleticism. Unlike Deshaun Watson and Russell Wilson in years when their offensive line was was just a turnstile, they were athletic enough and had the just ability to move. Jared Goff does not. So if you can't block it for him, you got no chance. But when you look at their defense, their defense is pretty good. I mean, Aaron Donald, Dante Fowler, cause havoc. And Jalen Ramsey can just match up on whoever your best wide receiver is and take him out of the game. So yeah, it was a lot to pay for Jalen Ramsey. But I go, well, they got one of the best players, you know, in the league on their team. That's, that's the cost of doing business. And I tweeted this yesterday, like, if they miss the playoffs this year, it's a disaster. 
And then I took a step back. Is it really? It's only a disaster if you can't figure out ways to incrementally improve your offensive line, which can be difficult, but that puts pressure on your offensive line coach, on Sean McVay. Kyle Shanahan's proven he's been playing with backup offensive linemen in one game. Like, the pressure kind of then goes to McVay a little less than the general manager. The general manager's done his job. Hey, 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 Sean, I've given you countless elite blue-chip players. You're playing Mason Rudolph on the road, and they spot you 7-0. You should be able to beat them. They couldn't move the ball at all. If your offensive line can't block for Jared Goff, which they could not all game, and typically the Steelers over the last several years have had one of the best, more athletic, pressure-filled units in the league. They are a handful. Call some different plays. Like, throw a different pitch. Bro, your shit isn't working. Do something different. Like, I've, I've always defended, like, hey, you know, your starting tackles go out, you lose your starting center, like, things are gonna fall off the map. And then I've seen Kyle Shanahan, boom, nothing happens. Patriots for years, boom, nothing happens. I'm watching the Chiefs offense. They're losing offensive linemen left and right. They throw up 32 points. Like, good coaches overcome. Like, what do the Marines say? Adapt and overcome? That's what good coaches do, especially offensive coaches. Unlike defense, where you're not dictating the terms, really, you're reactive. The offense, you can do whatever you want. You're the ones calling the plays. You're the one that dictates every play of the game is the offense. The defense is just calling a play based on what they think you're going to do. You know what you're going to do on offense. And they kept calling like five, seven-step drops. They can't block, Sean. You are not going to be able to block them. Have you watched the tape? Do you have any other pitches you know, in your repertoire? Are you just going to throw the same thing over and over and over again? Because it's not going to work. But when it comes to less need and the organizational philosophy, I'm always going to support that. Because too often now, and I just think you often see it in media, like, Let's hoard the draft picks. Let's hoard the prospects. For what? Most of them miss. Most draft picks, even in the first round, it's a 50-50 proposition. Look at in baseball. The majority of quote-unquote prospects traded for elite players never amount to anything. It's almost shocking when it's like, whoa, they got that guy in that trade? Because you don't see it happen that often. So, you know, both these organizations put all their chips in the middle of the table. But when you put your chips in the middle of the table... You know, and you're playing roulette and you put it on red, sometimes it hits black. But, you know, at least you have the stones to pick a side and go all in and go for it. That's the reality of taking big swings. Let's dive into LSU Alabama, which was the highest rated college football game of the last eight years. And I went to a buddy's house and watched it with several other people. I live in Northern California. So it speaks to the power of football. There probably, there definitely hasn't been a Major League Baseball game that has got that type of rating. And I, I don't know this for a fact, but I'm pretty sure, having followed the Warriors pretty closely, they didn't do regular season games. Maybe a Christmas Day game that rated that high. The, the NBA doesn't have that in the bag. Speaks to the power of football. And even though this country leans a little more NFL than college, like, it takes a really big non-playoff, you know, college football games. Just because college football, Colin talks about this a lot, has become regionalized. This was a game, just two southern teams. But I do think the, the consumer now knows this is an NFL game. And when I worked in the NFL, you it was like mandated. I mean, it was like an unwritten rule that you sent a scout to the SEC championship game. 
that, that that's the area that pumps out the most NFL players. So you need to have a presence there. You typically put your best scout in the in the SEC in the South because that's where the majority of the talent comes from. And we knew going in how much talent was on the team. I think most people would say that oh Alabama's a much better or just the superior program to LSU. Do you know what my counter would be? They're the same program. One program has just had Nick Saban for the last 12 plus years. When Nick Saban was at LSU, what did he do? He won a national championship. His last two years there in the SEC West, he was 13 and 3, pumping out NFL players left and right. They're the same program. It just like Florida is this Florida suck now these last six or seven years? Or are they a powerhouse when they get an elite coach like Spurrier or Urban Meyer and they'll win national titles? You could argue that the top four programs in the SEC, Bama, LSU, Georgia, and Florida, if you put Nick Saban or Urban Meyer at any of them, they will win natties. Or if you give any of them a solid coach, like Eddie O is proving to be, because he has an excellent staff, if you give them an elite quarterback, they will dominate. Because what you saw on Saturday Listen, I, I, I'm not the biggest Tua fan, though I don't not like him. He throws as beautiful a deep ball from a college passer as I've ever seen. Now, he's playing with three wide receivers. Two of them are going to go in the top 20. One guy's going to go in the top 10. And another guy, is, as someone told me a month ago, which that might be that might change, because after watching that game, Smith had multiple touchdowns. He, he might end up in the first round, too. There's a chance he's playing with three first-round wide receivers. And he gets him the ball with ease down the field. But as you saw with LSU, Joe Burrow is a little bit more dynamic of a passer. Short, intermediate, and deep, he can do it all. And obviously, he can run around. Uh, but when you look at LSU, like if you just close your eyes and they were all wearing the same color jersey, both teams, they'd all look the same. It's just the same team. One team just had a slightly better quarterback. And the running back for LSU is pretty damn good, too. But they've always been that. Really the last six or seven years when Les kind of fell off the map and they were losing assistant coaches, the problem was is they couldn't scheme at the level of Alabama. And that's the problem for Saban these last several years. He's had so much coaching turnover that it's hard to maintain that. And he's lost a ton of coordinators, a ton of assistant coaches. Eventually it's going to take its toll. And as someone in the league told me a while back, actually it was like last week, that one problem for Alabama early on in their run from like 2009 to like 2013-14, they would never or very rarely lose an underclassman that would be like a 5th, 6th, 7th round pick. Because that guy would always come back and then he would be a 1st or 2nd rounder. Well, this last 3 or 4 years, or if you've watched them play, they're really good. Hell, I think they're still really good. And they could beat any team on any given game. I don't even know how you could argue that. But he said one big problem is they're starting to lose a lot of players that are like, I'm just going to leave. And then the guy goes in the fourth or fifth round. Well, that guy always would come back. And you saw it last year with Clemson. All those defensive linemen came back. And they turned out to all be first and second round picks. Hell, Cleveland Farrell went fourth overall. He was the highest drafted of the group. And most people thought he was the worst prospect of the three of them, Christian Wilkins and the dude the Giants took. So I'm watching Alabama thinking, one, that if you put them in the playoffs, they would not embarrass themselves. Their offense is too good. 
But two, yeah, they're just not quite as good. LSU's a little more talented. And now they got a coaching staff they can hang, and they got the best quarterback, you know, they've probably ever had. At least in terms of the way he's playing, NFL prospect. We all make fun of Jamarcus now. He was a really good college player. They're the same thing. Both programs, and you could I think you could put Florida and Georgia in this mix too, care about football to their core more than anything else. They care about it more than academics. It drives the community. It drives the university. And I've gotten these arguments with people on Twitter before. Like, it, the SEC's motto is, we, it just means more. Because it does. Football means more than academics at these universities. That's not saying that these universities are not good universities. But they care about football deep down to their core much more than, and I just used the Pac-12 as an example, more than UCLA, more than Cal, more than Stanford, even, hell, more than SC. And SC out here, probably SC and Oregon care about it the most. But they still care about other stuff. The only reason that Oregon can really kind of, you know, throw its hat in the ring is because they have this huge advantage. This guy named Phil Knight just happened to be an alumni there, you know, cares about that program like it's his child. If Phil Knight was just not Phil Knight, Oregon would just be another Pac-12, you know, coach. Now, obviously, if my aunt had balls, she'd be my uncle, so we could play that game. If if Oklahoma State didn't have T. Boone Pickens, I'm not even trying to take anything away from Oregon. I'm just saying that out West, we care about academics. Me personally, I'm not saying that academics don't matter. I care about football more. I wish all the programs out where I live thought about it like the SEC. And the top end of their conference just will do anything it takes to win. They will do... They gave... Immediately after that game, reports surfaced that Joe Brady, the 30-year-old passing game coordinator and wide receiver coach, maybe he's a quarterback coach, whatever, he's basically the assistant offensive coordinator, this 30-year-old guy that they stole from the Saints... They plan on quadrupling his salary. I think he makes like $400,000, maybe not, maybe tripling, like $1.5 million, so he doesn't leave. Again, they are, they're like, when I talk about the Pittsburgh and the Rams, like Nick, what do you need? Uh, Mark Rick or, or Kirby Smart, what do you need? Out, out here, out west, and in, in several programs, you know, they go, uh, yeah, we'll have to think about that. I don't know if that's going to hang. So LSU and Bama are on the highest level of that thought process. Now, is Ed Ogeron in a vacuum a better coach than Nick Saban? Of course not. Ed Ogeron doesn't call the offense. He doesn't call the defense. But what he is, he is a couple things. He is the ideal fit for that university. Like, he feels LSU. I know Colin was tweeting about it a bunch this weekend. In the postgame, when, when, when uh, I don't even know who it was, gets him on camera, you could see the tears in his eyes. Because that win, now, ultimately, if he wins a national championship... The win will be remembered longer nationally. But that win in that community, on that university, it may be the greatest moment of his professional life. He beat Nick Saban in Tuscaloosa and kind of kicked his ass. I mean, was destroying them in the first half. And Tua hit some big plays and they came back. But they dominated. It doesn't get any bigger than that. I can't relate because down in the South, football is a religious experience. For me personally, it kind of is too. I mean, it means a lot to me. I've dedicated my life to talking about it. But to to, to Nick, like I, I think Nick can take a step back. Everyone's like, oh, is Bama done or whatever? No, Bama's fine. They'll keep recruiting elite players. And if they get their backup quarterback or whoever's next up the pipe is is better than the guy else, you have, they'll beat him next year. You know, it, maybe it costs them a playoff berth. But I, I think we, we act like Alabama 
is on some different level than all these other programs. Like, I think there are four or five programs that are just completely on a different level than every other program in the country. I think it's Ohio State, and then I think it's probably three of the four SEC schools. Because, again, there is no hurdle or any barrier that these coaches have to have to jump over. Because whatever they need, the school, the resources, they just knock down that wall, and the coach walks right through it. You need an extra academic advisor. You need more iPads for your team. You need more training facilities. You need more weight room. Whatever you need, they'll do it. You need $2 million to go sign this defensive coordinator. Here, here's a check. And at LSU and Bama, get the best players in the country. They always have. And that's why people at LSU and people around Bama that I knew always like, what? They, they got just as good of players as us. Les just can't coach on next level. Now, I'm not saying Ed can't either because he can't, you know. But he did put a great staff around and their players, and he nailed this quarterback. This quarterback transfer, Joe Burrow, looks like the number one pick in the draft. Probably just cemented his status as he's going to win the Heisman Trophy. I don't know when the last time LSU had a Heisman Trophy winner, but it sure as hell feels like a long time ago. Uh, but just as a football fan, it doesn't get much cooler in that game. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based, live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. We're now joined by three-time NBA Sixth Man of the Year, elite bucket getter. Let's please welcome Jamal Crawford to Point Game, King of the Court one-on-one tournament. If they had it back in your prime, do you think you could have took it all? I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think I could have took it all. But I think I would have shocked a lot of people. I think Kobe and everybody in their prime, Kobe would win a one-on-one contest. Yeah, I, yeah, because you got to think, Love he's going to guard. He don't care about guarding. He's going to guard. He's going to exactly. guard. Like, you see him in the Olympics, he's going to guard. And then on I'm top of that. like that, see that? Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Sam Cassell to Point Game. I remember you came out from crying tears. <laughs> crying tears. I mean, he was in a culture shock. He's going to withdraw us about winning. Remember what I told you? I said, I said, OG, you think I can get paid and go back and play in college because they ain't it? <laughs> Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Colin Coward from The Herd with Colin Cowherd. Angie's list is now Angie, the nation's largest home service marketplace. They're here to help homeowners get all their jobs done well. Angie has helped over 150 million homeowners care for their homes. Whatever your home project, big, small, indoor, outdoor, come to Angie to connect with and hire skilled pros to get the job done well. Listen, I've got a couple of things in a bathroom in my house. Got to get it fixed. I don't have time, and I'm not good at it. Angie is. In just a few taps. 
in the Angie app or clicks on the site. You can have Angie tackle your home service project start to finish. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it easy to research, compare, and hire pros to ensure a job done well. With 29 years of experience combined with new digital tools to simplify the process, Angie makes completing home projects really easy. Renters, you can use Angie too for moving, installations, or cleaning. Angie can even help with extremely specific projects. Just tell them what you need and Angie will find the right solution for you. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com or download the app today. Okay, let's dive into uh, something I saw. Before we dive into things that jumped out to me on Sunday, one thing that really jumped out to me on Saturday beside the LSU-Bama game was Minnesota. And I texted a buddy in the league that has gone through P.J. Flex schools over the years. I said, what's his deal? And the way he described him to me was he's like the Tony Robbins of coaching. He is not for everybody. He's not even for every assistant coach, let alone every player. He's big into like psychological, inspirational type stuff that is unique. But it works. There is no disputing if you watch Minnesota play Penn State, they have a bald coach a bald quarterback, as a as a member of the Bald Brotherhood, really I, I became a full-time member in 2011, but I, I was trending that way probably since about 07, so o- over 10 plus years in the club. I'm a fan. <laughs> I'm a big fan of what they got going. Uh, he's clearly just a rising star, because at Minnesota, to be undefeated, to beat Penn State like that at home, uh, James Franklin, that's just kind of the apple of everyone. Oh, James Franklin. James, when's James Franklin going to win a big game? Uh, shoot me a text when that happens. Minnesota kicked their ass. Physically shoved them around. Offensively, they are really good. The quarterback makes plays. They got a couple wide receivers. The running back was gashing them. Penn State, I can't imagine that Penn State, or excuse me, that Minnesota has many guys on their roster that Penn State would have taken. Right, and, and Minnesota would have taken every single guy on Penn State's roster. So that's the one thing unique about college football is like when Alabama plays Oregon State. I'm just giving you some hypothetical matchup. There's not a guy in Oregon State that Alabama would have given a scholarship to. Where in the NFL, it's like, yeah, take that guy, take that guy. We wanted to draft that guy. In college football, when you play the big boys and you get even in the conference – like, you know, when Alabama plays Arkansas. How many players does Arkansas have that Alabama wanted? Maybe two, maybe three. There might not be any. And that's where coaching, it's its the one sport where coaching by far has the most impact. Because whatever P.J. Fleck is feeding those kids, uh, through, you know, literally feeding them, telling them, it's, it's working. The guy is a really, really good football coach. And I, I'm sure some of you that are listening, if, you know, that live in maybe that region, know more about him than my, myself. Uh, he, he seems like just a, just a different cat. And sometimes, you know, different's cool because we, we've seen the same old meatheads coaching football forever. I, I like that some of these younger guys are just a little off the beaten path for what you think would be a football guy. That, that was an enormous win by Minnesota. Okay, let's get into Sunday. Mahomes was fantastic. He looked healthy, uh, slinging the well over 400 yards. Hill and Kelsey dominated. They scored 32 points on the road and were leading late in the fourth quarter. So to lose that game for Kansas City is pretty devastating. They've lost four of their last six games. Now, obviously, Mahomes got hurt in one of those games, even though they won that game against Denver. Then they lost the game against Green Bay. But something's off with them. They cannot get a stop in a big spot to save their life. 
And Steve Spagnola, who was the, you know, kind of known for being the defensive coordinator on the New York Giants, the team that beat the undefeated Patriots, it's all kind of been downhill since. Because what's really the difference? Last year, probably the most polarizing assistant coach was Bob Sutton because the Chiefs defense was just so terrible. Maybe they've been a little bit better. You know, just from the eye test, I, I kind of see the same shit. Wide open holes, blown coverages, guys getting wide open in big spots. They, they can't get any stops. If Chris Jones or someone on the defensive line does not make a play, they, they just give, they get gashed. It's, I mean, Derrick Henry was running wild against them. And Derrick Henry's a good player. But that, that's, that's a bad loss for Kansas City. When your quarterback plays that well, when your premium offensive players play that well, and you have a lead with under a couple minutes to go. And, you know, it's a tough situation. You're up late in the game. They got one timeout. It's third and two. Do you run the ball? Well, if you run the ball and get stuffed, everyone just goes, oh, conservative, idiot coaches. And then if you pass the ball and it doesn't work, you go, what are you doing? Run the ball. You can't. Listen, the best offensive coordinators, I'm just as guilty as this too, are the ones sitting on their couch on Sundays. But they did that and it backfired. Mahomes hit the ground. Then the field goal got blocked. And uh, it was a disaster. There's no way around it. Absolute unmitigated disaster for Kansas City. Huge game for them this week. Playing the Chargers, Monday Night Football. The Raiders are playing the Bengals. And I saw on Twitter this morning, it's the first time that they've been a double-digit favorite in years. I think like 10. Maybe even more. Maybe since it was like, oh, I don't know, a long time. So this, the Raiders are going to beat the Bengals. The Chiefs have to win this game. Uh, The Bills... As someone that put some money on the Bills and watched that game very closely, the Browns are not very good. I mean, the Browns were like the first team in 26 years to have eight chances within the two-yard line or in and not score a touchdown. So let's, the Bills' defense is good. The Browns are an undisciplined mess. The Bills' offense is a problem. Like Josh Allen, who I'm rooting for, consistently throws. And I, Matt Stafford is a much, much higher-level version of this. Like Josh. Not every single throw needs to be 100 miles an hour. Throw a changeup. When a guy's running a quick slant and he's subtly open, you, you don't. not every pass needs to be Brett Favre. When I watch Josh Allen, the accuracy, the accuracy is a problem for a lot of quarterbacks. Like Most guys are not pinpoint accurate, unless you're Brady or Breeze, the elite, elite guys. Even Rodgers can spray the ball a little bit. But Rodgers can take some off his passes. So even if he is a little off, it's just a more catchable pass. When someone, when someone throws a 100-mile-an-hour rope and he's 15 feet away, it's just hard to catch. And I, I see Josh Allen struggling to take velocity off some of his passes, and it, and it gets him in trouble. Danny Dimes and the Jets, uh, I don't really have much takeaway from the game. I know Danny Dimes threw four touchdowns, but he also had – the fumble when Jamal Adams ripped it out of his hands. These two teams are terrible. And I know there were reports from Giants media that John Morrow was walking around, super pissed off, head down, like he was ready to fire everyone. Like, John, what what did you expect was going to happen when you hired Pat Shermer and then made Dave Gettleman the general manager? Did you think you were going to win? Did you think you were going to be competitive? Do you live in a state of denial? How is anyone shocked at this? Because I'm not. Honestly, I'm a little shocked at the Jets because now part of it is Darnold went out with the mono. But still, then he wasn't good after the Cowboys game. But I thought the Jets would win five or six games. They'll probably end up winning four. 
I know Sam Darnold said yesterday that he thinks they can still make the playoffs. Uh, memo to you, Sam. You're not making the playoffs. But D- D- Danny Dimes, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't really see it. Uh, again, one of the touchdowns was on a quick screen to Golden Tate. Another Golden Tate touchdown came where the DB just fell down. So sometimes you have to put plays with context when you're judging them. Like if a guy's wide open and you hit a pl- and you hit a score a touchdown, like was it really that difficult of a pass? If the offensive lineman falls down and you get a sack, like all sacks, all touchdowns, they're not all equal. The, the Pat Shermer and Dave Gettleman are just a royal disaster. But again, anyone with the pulse knew this was going to happen. The Saints, they got destroyed by the Atlanta Falcons. Now, the Atlanta Falcons, who have been a, a, a dumpster fire all season long, the thing that troubled, I think, most people in football with trying to like come up with reasons why they were so bad is because they do have a lot of talent. Julio Jones star, Calvin Ridley stud, Austin Hooper. I mean, offensively, they got dudes everywhere. And defensively, they do have a lot of athletic. I don't know if they have too many blue chippers on defense, but they don't have scrubs. They don't have scrubs at all. So anytime in the NFL you play divisional games and the opponent, you know, the same coaching staffs have been there for a little bit, weird things can happen. I also think that people overreact to like a one bad loss. If you're like the Chiefs and you've had several bad losses, I think it's fair to like have a strong take. Like this team's got some issues. Like you should throw up a red flag right now on the Chiefs. I'm not throwing up a red flag on the Saints. Because if you go 13-3, and more than likely, two of those three losses are going to look pretty bad. And if you're a fan of that team Monday morning, you're going to be like, what the hell just happened? But at the end of the day, you're going to be 13-3, and three, and the Saints more than likely are still going to get a home field bye. And if they don't, they'll be the three seed. Like, they're going to be a top three seed. You're allowed to have a clunker. And you'd rather have a clunker. I think it's hard sometimes when you, your clunker comes against a team with a really bad record. I also say this all the time, that... Players are humans, and as we get into November, and your record is really kind of established when you're a bad team, the coach can get up in front of the squad all he wants and say how talented the team is, how they beat us in years past, all that bullshit. But when the player looks down at a scouting report and sees the record underneath that team's name, and he sees 1-10, in 10, or 2-12, in 12, or, you know, 3-4, and four, or not 3-4, and four, like 3 and I was going to say 3-14, and 14, but that would be 17 games. I was, th- I was trying to think of a bigger number. 3-10. and 10. You just know that team's bad. Y- you do. So I, I give the human element sometimes for, a, for good teams to overlook bad teams. Now, should it happen in a division? Of course not. But it did. And I, I, don't, I don't make much of it. Because I have enough evidence watching the Saints with Breeze and without Breeze of kicking the crap out of people. Winning games on the road. In, in situations where they had Teddy Bridgewater, they shouldn't have won. Like, they're, they're going to be fine. Kyle Allen's solid. You know, he, he really is. I, I watched that game against Green Bay. They moved the ball up and down against Green Bay pretty much at ease all game. It, it took a turnover from Kyle Allen to kind of keep that game, to make it, you know, the score a little closer. Uh, or at least at one point in time, the score was like 21 to 10. It felt more like, God, should Carolina be winning this game? Now, it's hard for me sometimes to judge games that it was a major snowstorm by the second half. I think Green Bay is really good. Their defense, though, is not quite as good as it showed that first month. There are gaping holes. Now, Christian McCaffrey, what's he, the first or second best running back in the league? He's just a baller. He is an elite player. 
So if, if he makes plays against you, to me, that's not always an indictment of your team. Uh, but it, it's pretty clear that the Packers' defense is, I, I can't consider them top-notch anymore. They're solid. They're, they're an above-average NFL defense. But I don't put them in that category where that first several weeks of the season, it looked like they had one of the best defenses in the league. I, I just, I, I can't say that right now. And the Carolina Panthers, they're 5-2 and two since they started 0-2 and, and, you know, Cam Newton last played a game. Their two losses are at Green Bay in the snow and at San Francisco. Like, they're probably going to go 9-7, and seven, more than likely miss the playoffs, but that's a really, really impressive season. Because if they go 9-7, and seven, they basically went 9-5 and five without Cam. And that was all Kyle Allen playing, being the quarterback. I, I, I tip my hat to Ron Rivera. He's done an excellent job. Titans are a really weird team. Uh, Ryan Tannehill's now 3-1 and one as a starter. Derrick Henry's established himself as a really good player. I, I think Mike Vrabel's a, a good coach. But you can watch him some weeks where you're like, what is going on? Now, Titans fans may tell me, well, if Tannehill had been starting the whole time, maybe we would be 6-4. and four. Hell, maybe even 7-3. and three. Because there were points early in the season with Mariota where their offense was beyond anemic. He, he was struggling to complete uh, running back screens. It, it's crazy just from the eye test how much better Ryan Tannehill is a player than Marcus Mariota. One, just as a runner. Mariota is quote-unquote an athletic runner as well. Tannehill yesterday was lowering his shoulder, running guys over at the goal line. That ain't Mariota's deal. And then when he had to, he was pulling the trigger and hitting some big passes at one point in time in the game. It was a seven-point game with the Chiefs leading. And I remember I was watching the game, and the stats came up, and, and Mahomes had over 300 yards passing, and Tannehill had 100. And you're like, how are they only down seven? And then as the game went on, he made some big passes. Obviously, Derrick Henry busted a big run, and they found a way to win. Now they're 5-5. Five and five. They are not dead in terms of from the playoff mix. Uh, the Browns, they're holding on for dear life. Uh, you know, they, they're just... They're going to take pride in that win. I go, ugh, I, I didn't learn much about you. I still don't think you're very good. It turns out Matt Stafford has a broken back or broken vertebrae or, you know, his back's messed up and did not play, and it was still hard for the Bears to beat Jeff Driscoll. Uh, I, Khalil Mack, to me, has had a pretty underwhelming season. Uh, I, I don't know if just missing Akeem Hicks is hurting his spirit, if Chuck Pagano is not getting the most out of him. Uh, I know they won. I'm pretty sure he hasn't had a sack in five straight games. When I watch Khalil Mack, the guy that played balls to the wall and just consistently dominated week in, week in, I don't see that guy right now. I, I don't see a guy necessarily going through the motions, but I don't see the elite blue chip player. Like when I, I don't see a Pro Bowl player right now, which is kind of embarrassing. He, he is too good to not take over games. And in his career he has consistently taken over games every two or three weeks he's just kind of been MIA and you know you're either coaching or allowing it to happen part of it's he's such a good player it's on him too but they got to figure out if they're just going to get back to win eight or nine games uh or win six it's going to be him and he someone needs to kind of rev him back up because right now he's he just hasn't been playing very well okay let's dive into the middle mailbag uh, some of these are from before the weekend, so if it is, I'll try to kind of spin it forward. I'm a Bears fan who feels like his parents are going through a divorce. Mitch and Nagy could not be worse for each other. In fairness, Mitch made some nice throws. Granted, it was against the Lions. 
Mitch would greatly benefit from being in an offense like the 49ers, Ravens, or early Seahawks where the play calling is run heavy and the quarterback doesn't have to think as much. Is it possible, reasonable for Nagy to transform the offense to be more like Kyle? Side note, Watson or Mahomes would be sweet with Nagy. Uh, Did I answer this question last week? Maybe I didn't resend it. If I did, sorry if you're listening to this again. I I think at the most basic level, regardless what offense you run, if Mitch is not going to be accurate, and up until, I don't have his box score against the Lions, but he did make a couple nice touchdown throws. If he is airmailing balls all over the yard, you got no chance in any offense. Kyle would hate. He hates inaccurate quarterbacks. So I, I would say that that might be a little bit of a stretch. Mitch just needs to be more accurate, especially on big downs, third downs, in the red zone. That, that's just the bottom line. There's no other way around it. He has to be more accurate. Big fan of the show. I'm a realistic Raiders fan. I don't think we are going to make the playoffs, but we'll be extremely hopeful. Looking at what Gruden has done with the team, do you think they could be in the Super Bowl in the next three or five years, or do you think the defense will hold them back? Like it seems, all the offensive moves in free agency, AB doesn't, uh, couldn't cause FAB. I can't, I can't follow there. And draft have been doing great, but the defense ones not so much. Yeah, I. I Clearly, he's good enough of an offensive coach to compete with anybody. Their defense is god-awful. Now, granted, they drafted a guy, Mullins, in the second round. He started, really, the last two weeks. Jonathan Abram, the hard-hitting safety, went on IR. Because, of course, he did. He destroys people. He's going to have to adapt his style. He's a good enough athlete. He's going to have to become a little bit more of a cover guy and balance the big hitting. Their pass rushers are a major question mark. I mean, Cleveland Farrell, who had a good statistical game against the Chargers, if you watch the game, wasn't great. Arden Key was actually coming on until he broke his foot, I think, two weeks ago. And then Mad Max Crosby's a really good player. But they're going to need, you know, a couple just elite defensive linemen. And their linebacker situation has been abysmal for years. So they're going to need a draft, preferably in this draft. I mean, they're going to have two first-round picks probably in the top 18. You know, if the Bears go six or seven wins and the Raiders win seven or eight wins, you know, that's boom. Pick 13 and pick 17. Maybe draft a linebacker. They need, you know, a fast, just tackling machine at linebacker. I'm watching the Steeler game yesterday, or two days ago now if you're listening to this, and Devin Bush is all over the place. You know, you watch Keekleys of the world. You held the 49ers, Fred Warner, Bobby Wagner. You, you got to have that guy. Uh, unless the Rams are an example of a team. They haven't really had great linebacking play the last several years, but their defensive line has been elite and their corners have been good. So you, you got to have difference makers, preferably at every level, but they don't really have what I would call a difference maker on defense. You know, they have several on offense with Waller, Jacobs, a lot of the offensive linemen, Carr can play like that, Gruden as a play caller. But defense in the NFL is, you know, it's a combination of the X's and O's and the Jimmys and the Joes. Because without the Jimmys and the Joes, you can't make plays. And right now they just don't have the Jimmys and the Joes. With all the Odell talk about a trade at the end of the year, what are your thoughts on Philly picking him up? Is that possible? Keep up the hustle. Uh, Appreciate it. Yeah, I would say that, I don't know, you know, to, to be completely honest, I, I just, we have to see what Cleveland does. Are they just going to trade him for a first round pick at the end of the season? You could argue they don't necessarily need him, but if they're ever going to get good, you would like to have Odell Beckham on the team. So unless he demands a trade or for whatever reason, the coaching staff doesn't like him, 
I will be surprised if Odell Beckham's not on the on the team next year. Now, will he be on the team going into year three? That's a bigger question mark. But to give up after one year, if they did, I think a lot of people would be interested. Though, the risk would be a little higher given that it wasn't just, not that it, he's been the problem, but it hasn't been smooth sailing, right? I mean, the shoes, he's a little bit of pain in the ass. Now, I think most GMs will tell you, we already know that, we don't really care, and that, that might be true. Listen to three and out podcasts about Jacksonville moving to London. I like the idea, but the problem is that the Jacksonville Jaguars, people might not go to games. People might go to games then, but no one wants to watch them on TV. I think the ratings will stink in the U.S. You know, honestly, I don't think it would phase anyone that much. If the Jaguars were good and, you know, had a record of, you know, three and, you know, six and one playing the five and two Houston Texans and you put that game on Sunday Night Football, people are going to watch. I think good football and the records have more to do. Football is national. You know, baseball and basketball are regional. The LSU Bama did a 9.5 rating. The average, like, Major League Baseball game on Sunday Night Baseball on ESPN does, like, a 1. The average NBA game does, like, a 2.5. So if you put good football on TV, people watch, whether it's their team or not, with gambling and, obviously, in the NFL, we got fantasy football. So the, the draw to the NFL is so much different than uh, – than other sports that have to worry a little bit more about that stuff. Just started listening to this uh, this season, love the podcast. After listening Friday morning and watching Thursday Night Football, I have a theory that Rivers is tanking because he's sick of losing and running, running for his life. Their offensive line has been horrible for years, and Dean seems not to care about the O-line. What are your thoughts on Rivers trying to get traded this offseason? Well, I, I definitely think there's a chance that he demands a trade or slash they franchise. He's a free agent, so... They, they're they probably going to franchise him and trade him. Maybe they let him walk. I'd be a little shocked, but you, you can never discount any possibility with uh, with Dean Spanos. I don't think he's throwing games at all. I think he's desperately trying to win. Uh, desperately. I actually think his flaws now, when I say ball security, for him it's throwing the ball into just terrible places. You know, throwing these YOLO passes that make no freaking sense. I think that's his issue right now much more than he he's trying to complete these passes. I, I think there's a chance sometimes he can't control where the ball goes, which is a little bit scary, which you'd have to question what his uh you know, what his trade value would be. He keeps putting up games like he did the other night against the Raiders. If you franchise him like a, you're not getting maybe a fourth or fifth round pick. I, I don't know, he's thirty eight years old, he's turnover prone. Would someone give like a first round pick? I, I doubt it. Here's a question for the three and out. Should a team such as the Jets or the Browns consider co- contacting Coach Dungy in a desperate try to get a good coaching staff? Also, in Chicago, a good landing spot for Cam Newton? Yeah, I think, you know, Cam Newton would be, any team that needs a quarterback would be an interesting, good landing spot. I think Tony Dungy's done. Uh, you know, he's a defensive coach in an offensive world. I don't see that happening. I mean, I, I always like the mindset of thinking outside the box and former coaches that have had success, but yeah, I don't I don't think that's a possibility. Appreciate everybody listening. Middlecoff Mailbag, at John Middlecoff, slide up in those DMs. Uh, Thursday Night Football, pretty big game. Uh, Browns-Steelers. I think it's Steelers at the Browns, but, you know, for the Steelers, they'd be 6-4, and four and boom. I mean, we'd be talking about a wild card, and the Browns would be 4-6, and six, and you'd be like, well... They play the Steelers in again in a couple weeks. They wouldn't be dead. I think I saw today on Twitter they have one of the easiest remaining schedules. So football's getting good. This has to be the most open season 
you know, I, I, I'm thinking maybe on Thursday I'll do a power rankings, like just my top five teams. I know a lot, Colin does a top 10, a lot of people, I'll just do my top five teams. But it's pretty clear that six or seven, you know, teams in the NFL are going to enter the playoffs feeling they got a legit shot to win it all. There, there's no 07 Patriots, you know, there, there's no teams like that. You know, the Seattle a couple years ago, even the Atlanta Falcons the year they went 15-1, and one, I... I think regardless of where the 49ers seating ends up when it's all said and done, I don't think people are going to look at them like just a team that cannot be beat unless they, you know, who, who knows. But I, I really think that this is the most open season that I can ever remember in this decade of just what there are. We'll talk about this Thursday, but appreciate everyone listening and enjoy the week. And God, I love football. Adios. <laughs>